0: Greetings, and thank you for listening to My Awakening Podcast, created to help us all become better citizens in a more diverse America. My name is Joe, and I will be your host. In 2012, when I heard about the killing of Trayvon Martin, something shifted that no longer allowed me to disregard the many social justice issues that I heard on the news. Some new relationships and extensive reading and research since then has led to creating this podcast, allowing me to share this ongoing journey with you. Since announcing this podcast, there has been several recent tragic events further highlighting the deep racial divide that still exists in our country. Until we all join the outrage for this ongoing racial injustice, real change is not likely to happen. But if we work together, we can make the major systemic changes that are needed. My wife recently reminded me that I can't fix these long-standing problems, but I can help by shedding light on them. Bridging this racial divide will require all of us moving past our discomfort with talking about race and truly listening to understand what is happening around us. My initial guests will be sharing their journey as black Americans in a majority white society. Will you join with me in listening to their stories and concerns for America's future. Thank you for being with us today as we explore how to move America closer towards justice for all. I'm happy to introduce my friend Josh Krosky to you today and Josh has agreed to be our uh, first guest on episode 1. So uh, tell us <laughs> tell us a little bit about your current family yeah. and uh kids and your wife and such so yeah. we know a
1: little more about you. Yeah, so uh I am I have a beautiful wife named Cecily and together we are a blended family of seven beautiful children ranging from 18 years old who is my oldest son, Emmanuel. He is a he's in his freshman year at the university of Washington. Uh, and then, uh, second is Aleya, and She is 16 and, uh, full of energy. And then, uh, we have Arnold who is also 16, just turned 16 in March. And we have Ava who is 14. Amijah, who is, well, he's almost 13. He's 12 right now. Nevaeh, who is <laughs> 10 going on 11 or 16 if you want to go by the the attitude (laughs) and uh josiah who is four and he is literally uh the spark plug of the family so but it's uh it's it's great great family um i wouldn't change them for the world yeah
0: yeah i've got the pleasure of uh, meeting several of your kids in the youth ministry at church yeah. and so that's been awesome and I really enjoyed the the kids that we've gotten to work with from your family.
1: Yeah, yeah, you you've got to meet them all for sure and uh <laughs> spend time with with all of them so it's it's been a uh, it's been great getting to know you through church is how we met and um just getting an opportunity to know you and your family as well too. So
0: uh share with us what was the first time in your life that you remember uh, feeling maybe being treated differently, Mm -hmm. if you recall when that first time was uh, that you thought to yourself, uh, wow, that that didn't feel right or something that felt odd to you.
1: Yeah, Um, funny enough, I mean, I could probably take you back to second grade um, where I think was the first time where I felt personally separated from everybody in, in my class. And, uh, it was a majority white class that I was in. And I remember, um, the teacher that I had at the time, um, was he, I don't really know how to put it, but I will say that I ended up going to the principal's office quite a bit. Um, and there was a, <laughs> You know, for some of the, the littlest things, and I mean, things that, you know, I felt was, well, we're all doing the same thing, but I'm the only one that seems to be getting in trouble for this, you know? And so I couldn't quite put my finger on why I just, back then it was more or less, this teacher really just doesn't like me, you know? um, As I got older, you know, obviously you start noticing certain things and... um and from then, I would say that's when I started to say, okay, I could look back then and see what the difference really was, um, where some of the more, I guess, harsher um, treatments that I felt was once I got to my preteen and teenage years. Um, when we were here living in the Tacoma, Washington area, probably the biggest Um, and most scariest incident that happened or the very first one would be when I was, I was around 11 years old, me and my friends, we were riding bikes, just doing regular kid things, just rolling around, riding bikes, having fun in the uh, Hilltop, Tacoma area. And we came across the street was eighth street. It was close to, um, a certain corner store that's—I call it a staple because I mean I think it's still there to this day, and everybody knows it. It's called Shybee's um, grocery store, or something like that. And I remember we were riding our bikes, and this police car literally drives up on the curb, almost hits us. The the police officers—jump out of their car with their guns uh, drawn and pointing at us, and we were terrified yelling at us to get on the ground, get on the ground. And I remember me and my uh, friend, Gerald Jordan, we, we jump to the ground and, you know, we have our hands stretched out and you know, we're just terrified. It's a pouring down raining day. And then they move us. They have us walk or get up then walk towards the street, lay on the ground in the street. And so we were just laying there. It felt like forever. I would say it was probably a good, 45 minutes or more that we were laying on the ground as they were talking amongst themselves. A couple of other police officers came up. Um, they were looking at, uh, the, uh, I don't know if it's their computers or whatnot, but they kept going back to the cars to get something. And I think they, you know, now that I look back at it now it was, it was more so, I believe they were, you know, just seeing in the system if we came up, You know, and so after about 45 minutes, they finally told us it was mistaken identity. Uh, There were kids that were stealing bikes in the neighborhood and they, when they drove past us, the bikes, the colors of the bikes matched the colors that of the bikes that were stolen and no real apology just told us to go and we drove off on our bikes and, you know, tears filled in our eyes, panicking, you know, hearts beating pretty fast. And I mean, like I said, we were 11 years old, you know, we're little kids. Wow. Yeah. So it was definitely, uh,
0: that one really stuck in your mind
1: then it did. It did. Uh, to this day, uh, it, it really does. Um, and then, um, I mean, not to go through every single incident, but there was, I mean, along the way there was, uh, you know, I had that incident in the middle school. There was an incident that I would say probably is one of my biggest driving forces till or it was one of my biggest driving forces. I'll say that it's not anymore, but it definitely, I think, helped motivate me to make something of myself. And it was a situation where I, I was a little bit of a of a challenging kid in my uh, middle school years. I definitely. uh <laughs> defied defied uh, the, uh, the, the the rules a little more, um, but there was one teacher that sent me to what's called ISS, in-school suspension, which is where I pretty much lived, at least I would say a good <laughs> three days out of the week, <laughs> but um, one day I'm in there, and there's this one kid that came in, really smart kid, and he comes in one day, and everybody's kind of looking like, whoa, what are you doing in here? And I remember he was uh, sitting right next to me and um, this teacher comes in. Um, I don't know if she came to give him his assignment or what not, but he's laughing with me. And she asks, you know, uh, what are you doing in here to him? And he said, oh, I got in trouble. And then he just kind of start laughing. And um, she said, it's not funny. And then she points at me and see, she said, you see him? Kids like him are supposed to be here. They're never going to, this is, this is the best it gets. You have a great opportunity to be more. And this is below you. And I remember getting enraged and I, I don't remember what I said or whatnot, but I remember the security guard had to calm me down. I was, uh, um, and, and I was more so, it wasn't that I was, Enraged because I was just an angry kid. I was heartbroken that this adult didn't see anything in me or see that I was more than just yeah. this kid from the hood, you yeah. know? And so it was definitely a very painful situation. And I know that in my early years of working and when things got tough, I remember that situation and I said, I can't quit because I'll never make what, i 'll never allow what she said to be the truth about me, and so that was a definitely driving force for me now. Some people on the other end they take that, and they actually believe it i uh am blessed to say I did not believe it um, and I took it as a as fuel you um kind
0: of alluded to this a bit ago in mm-hmm. talking about your kids, uh particularly your boys that are mm-hmm. driving now, but uh can you tell us um what are some of the things that you have specifically communicated with your with your kids yeah. in helping them understand uh, mm-hmm. maybe how they might need to mm-hmm. be aware of uh, the way things go in the community and how to keep themselves safe in the community as black children?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, me and my wife, we have conversations with them quite often, and they're very open and very, you know, um, candid conversations. Uh, one of them in particular that I talk to my sons about is how we present ourselves. Now, mind you, I grew up in, or I live in a neighborhood that is, you know, very, um, I would say middle to, I would say middle class America. Um, it's, it's the suburbs, you know, so we have a, it's it's actually my neighborhood's not too bad. It's it's kind of blended. But my kids have grown up in um, more of a... They haven't grown up in a traditional, I would say, black neighborhood, right? So they haven't had to see or have some of the same issues that I had growing up.
0: So they, they wouldn't relate to the hood necessarily?
1: No, they wouldn't. <laughs> They wouldn't do they, they
0: know the term and they know what that means. They know the
1: term. They know what it means. Uh, I've talked to them multiple times about it. They know how I grew up. Um, and so they, they understand it, but they, they haven't lived it, but because they haven't lived it, you know, I don't want them to ever think that, um, you know, some of the same things that I unfortunately had to go through, that they can't go through. I don't want it to be a culture shock to them. And so we, you know, me and my wife, we talk to them quite often about different things that, you know, could potentially uh, be an issue for them. One of those things is, you know, like my son driving, how he drives, you know, when he, where he puts his registration and insurance, I tell him, keep it at the top. Um, Don't put it in the glove department anything that could potentially make a cop seem a little scared if they come up to the car. So put it up in the, um, I forget what you call the visor. That. Yep. The, the visor at the top. And you know, if it's nighttime, when a cop, if a cop stops, you turn the dome light on first and then grab your stuff, have it in hand, you know, for him when he comes in, even if you believe something may be wrong or, you know, you're stopped for no reason, don't argue. Um, just listen, but make sure you, you, um, pay attention to the badge number and, and the name, if you do feel you were wronged in any way and we'll take care of it. But outside of that, uh, when it comes to school, when it comes to, um, just even if they're walking around the neighborhood to go have fun, how they present themselves does matter, unfortunately, but it does, you know, uh, everybody doesn't understand what I like to call, um, you have, well, a lot of people call this black culture, but I call it hip hop culture, uh, you know, where, you know, cause black culture is, there's so many different phases of it, just like white culture. I mean, you got hipsters, rocks, stu- rock, rockers, uh, country, <laughs> uh, uh, folks and then you have people that you know are a little more uh buttoned up yeah and uh in the black culture you may have same thing some of the button up you may have some hip-hop you may have uh, you know there's there's a lot of different things but the hip-hop culture is the one that i believe seems to get the biggest or the, the worst rap um how kids dress with the baggy clothes, the hoods, you know, or the, the, the hoodies on and, and things like that. And so, you know, I do talk to my kids about that, how their, their appearance are, I don't think that they should ever go away from what they love. If they love hip hop, you know, and, and they dress a little hip hop, that's fine with me, you know, but how we do it, how we present ourselves does matter and understanding where some of the different uh, things in hip hop culture comes from, you know, and you know, some things that are good we keep, some things that are bad we take out. So it's just how, how you pre- present yourself matters, how you articulate yourself matters, and um, yeah, so we, we have those conversations quite a bit. You know, um, are your kids pretty
0: receptive to all of that, or do they you are. get some pushback? Um, uh. well. Like, oh, mom and dad, you guys just (laughs) don't understand yet. That's old old school stuff? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, a little bit just because they're they're kids, and I think they feel they have to push back on their parents a little bit. So definitely I do believe that, um, yeah, there's some of that, but for the most part they get it, and they know where we're coming from with it. So uh, with that, for the most part, when we're having a true, serious conversation about it, they're receptive. Uh, what's funny is, you know, I've noticed and I've seen it on, you know, on like kids snapchats and stuff. I don't really get into all those different social media sites, but you know, you actually see a lot of, um, white kids embracing a lot of the hip hop culture more now than ever. Um, so it's kind of funny to see (laughs) not in a bad way, but it's like, okay, well, you know, we, you know, we love the music, they love the music, you know there's nothing wrong with that um but I do believe a the the difference in how it looks on a white kid versus on a black kid is is still there yeah
0: if you could describe what are some challenges unique to your life as a black American mm-hmm. that you would like um our podcast listeners mm-hmm. to know that they probably wouldn't inherently know or understand about you. Yep. Uh, those not so much hidden things, but things that, that we, uh, we just wouldn't get about your culture or, or don't see. Yeah. Uh, What, what would you, how would you describe some of those things that you maybe even frustrate you Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Man, they just, they just don't get this.
1: Yeah. So I do, cultural workshops or I, I have done them, should I say in the past for, you know, the school districts. Um, one thing that is very prevalent, no matter where in the country, um, it seems like the higher percentage of the kids that get sent to, uh, in school su- or in school to suspension or get suspended are black and brown children. And a lot of times it's because you, you know, the teachers maybe don't understand them or their culture. Um,
0: can, we, can we back up a second? Yep. That ties in with something you said earlier to mm-hmm. us about sharing that your own personal experience yep. in, uh, mm-hmm. was it just before junior high or mm-hmm. first part of junior high?
1: Yep. I lived in ISS.
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, uh-huh. so what's interesting to me is then that means that how many years since then to now that you're Long describing, time. that 20 years?
1: Yeah, more. Yeah, more than 20 years.
0: So uh, basically much of that lack of understanding mm-hmm. seems to still be there.
1: Yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably the the issue that I think... You know, and I—I I don't speak for all black people, but I know how I feel. I know how my wife feels. I know how the people that I've been around, um, that are black, feel. Is—is is it if there's a real, true want to understand? I don't see too many black people not wanting to um, let a, a white person know, hey, this is how I feel about this the issue is, and I think we spoke about this, uh, tab before we started the podcast is, uh, I, I kind of gave the analogy of marriage where, you know, um, when I went to counseling, my counselor said, Hey, you have to listen, you know, when your wife is speaking, listen to understand. So you're actually, it's a different way of listening to what's being said versus listening to defend. And I think there's been times I know in my marriage where I was listening to defend, What was said. And I feel a lot of times with situations that come up, you know, between black and white, it's listening to defend. And a lot of times I think it's because it's uncomfortable. You know, we've talked about before when things get uncomfortable, it's easy to, you know, you, you start squirming a little bit and you want to defend it. And sometimes it's like, hey, you don't need to defend it. Just hear it. Because if you don't understand it and if you're not listening to understand, you don't know what to really change. And I would say that is probably one of the biggest things that I see today, which is why you see so much battle on social media and other places. You know, a, a white cop kills a black man and, you know, then, you know, a white person or a black person puts it up on Facebook. You know, they're outraged about this and a white person may say, hey, listen, listen. There's different things that we don't know about the situation or, you know, he didn't, you know, maybe if he didn't resist or, you know, but it's like, hey, hear what they're saying. Why are they so outraged? What is the outrage really, really about? Is it about uh, the fact that, you know, the the black person was being arrested or was it that they actually are no longer here, you know, and why is that an issue for a black culture that has dealt with you know a history of you know being you know potentially you know murdered or um beat up or whatever case may yeah, be yeah back up. in
0: the day lynching
1: yeah lynching you know and that you know kind of brings me to the other point of you know there's that overt white supremacy that is socially unacceptable right you know lynching kkk uh you know i mean the things that you really know that, you know, nobody's going to go for. But then there's the covert white supremacy that is acceptable that people don't really notice, you know, which are things like, uh, you know, going to defend, you know. Um, it could be, you know, playing the hero where, you know, I, I want to, and we talked about this too, you know, where I, I want to try to play the the helper to help this this black person out, you know, and it's like, in a sense that is still supremacy. You know, how do we get to the point where there's no supremacy, where it's just, you have a white guy and a black guy, but we're both guys. We both bleed the same, you know, at the end of the day, there's no supremacy. We're both the same and we're walking together, you yeah. know? And, you know, obviously as Martin Luther King wanted, you know, and I, and I think in certain ways we've gotten a lot better. Um, and in certain ways, I feel we've gone backwards a little bit too. So, Yeah. yeah. So
0: I didn't mean to interrupt, but you were you were on a track of sharing a little bit about Mm -hmm. your uh, doing cultural awareness work with with teachers in the school and such. Tell us a little more about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you know, we're dealing with teachers, like I said, uh, a lot of, you know, black and brown students end up getting suspended um, versus maybe redirecting the behavior because they don't understand it. You know, I come from a family that, you know, it's, we're super loud, you know, and <laughs> you know, it's just, it's loud. My wife is like, she's always like, man, when I get around across cross keys, it's, it's like, it's a, a freaking uh, football game right there in the living room. You know, everybody's screaming, but it's just the way we talk, you know, that are, you know, one thing about my family too. And you know, my, so a little bit of difference between me, me and my wife. She grew up with three sisters separated by, um, I want to say five years or four years between them. So very quiet, sweet little household, you know, three girls, right. Um, I grew up with, there was eight of us, um, all together, you know, um, but, you know, I would say, you know, when I was with my dad, there was probably at any time, there could have been four or five kids when I was with my mom, you know, and, there could be anywhere between that three and sometimes more. And so there was, it was always war, <laughs> you know, kind of what we go through now with my household, you know, there's always something going on, you know, it's never a dull moment. So my wife was, she had to get used to it. It was different for her. She didn't understand it. Uh, all the yelling, you know, she would hear it and look at me like, do you not hear what's going on? I'm like, no, I, what's happening? <laughs> you know, cause I'm used to it. It's part of the culture that I grew up in. My wife didn't. so she had to obviously embrace something new because this is now her, her life (laughs) with her kids, you know Um, in school, a lot of times the teachers don't understand some of these, the the black culture. So when these kids are acting certain ways or maybe they're a little more um, attitude ish, right? You know, the way they handle things are differently because that's how their household may be mm. the first thing is go and instead of telling them to go because now they're not learning now they're they're feeling rejected you're affirming things that you know have been you know uh said to them or that they've felt their entire life or what they see you know uh publicly so instead of affirming those things by Tell them to go. How do we redirect the behavior to get what we're really looking for? And so, you know, I try to speak to, or I've, in the, in the past that I've had these uh, workshops is to speak to teachers to really understand this. And part of it is you work here, but have you ever actually spent time in this neighborhood? You know, do you understand the kids of this neighborhood? You know, go to certain events that may be in that neighborhood, you know, things that will make you a little uncomfortable (laughs) because at at the end of the day, we have to all get comfortable being uncomfortable a little bit, you know, and that's the only way to really break down those walls.
0: So you'd say then that the segregated nature of our community even uh, impacts In the building at the school because the teachers actually came from, in many cases, outside of that community. You
1: got it. The majority of the teachers don't live in. Mostly when you're dealing with some of the more dominant uh, black neighborhoods, the majority of teachers do not live there. And um, from the percentage that I've gotten in different uh, workshops I've done, most of them have never actually spent any time in those neighborhoods either. So they're terrified when they go to work and they're terrified as they're leaving out. And so, uh, without trying to gain any understanding, uh, I know growing up when I first came to Jason Lee middle school in Tacoma, um, I was in a home ec class and I remember this teacher said, and I remember thinking, what, I mean, how, how's she going to say that? But she said out of everybody that's in this class, she said, um, 60 or over 60% will either not graduate end up in jail or dead. And then there's a 40% chance of you guys that will, you know, maybe make it out, you know? And I was like, wow, that's kind of jacked up. And actually I think she even gave a higher percentage. I think I'm being nice by saying 60%. I think she said higher percentage than that. doesn't sound like very good odds. It doesn't sound like very good odds at all. And the sad part is she was actually, she ended up being right. But part of it, I believe is because it's always affirmed. This is who you are. This is where you belong, you know, and that's just not true. I think if we, like I said, we redirect the behavior, we start coming together more or less taking the top off of people's, uh, what they're able to become and versus putting what I believe those limiting beliefs and the kids, it, it, it just makes a difference. It brings me to one quick point of a a study that was done. I believe it was, I could be wrong on a school, so forgive me, but I think it was the University of Michigan. They did a study and they used the insect fleas. And I think I may have told you this before, but they, I don't know if you know, but the flea has the highest vertical out of any, you know, um, living creature. <laughs> you know, uh, I think they can jump a hundred times their height, something crazy like that. But they put a one flea into a jar and it closed the top. And the flea jumped, hit his head a couple times, a few times and it only jumped so high so it would not hit his head. They put another flea in of the opposite sex, same thing, jumped, hit his head a couple times, boom, boom, and then only jumped so high so it wouldn't do that. They kept these fleas in there till they made it and the fleas had babies. Once the babies were born They only jumped as high as they saw their parents. They never they never jumped even high enough to hit their head because they did not know how high they could actually jump. And so it just goes to show no matter what, (laughs) from an insect to a human being, that if you're put in a box, so to speak, and a cap on and everybody's affirming that, you know, the odds are against you you know and yeah that's 60 70% whatever uh makes sense because everybody's affirming this and so what i try to teach the teachers is no we're we're taking the tops off we're giving these kids abundant thinking and taking the the limitations completely off of what they want to become and who they want to become and i believe that is very huge but it doesn't happen as much in black communities
0: do you find a fairly receptive audience to these uh, sorts of thinking this sort of thinking in the school um, yeah. is it a is it a kind of a mountain to climb
1: It's a mountain to climb. It's a, it's I think they want to but it's hard to change thinking as well too when you've thought a certain way and you think no I'm actually trying to make a difference that's why I'm a teacher and like yeah you may be trying to make a difference but how do you make the biggest difference? You know, how do you make the biggest impact, you know? And so I believe it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a mountain to climb. Um, there's a lot of squirming. I, it's actually funny <laughs> <laughs> to see because, I mean, it's, it's literally uh, putting it back there, you know, where you got to look in the mirror a little bit.
0: So I'm assuming that probably a typical group that you're talking to is bound to have at least a, a few people of color in that mm-hmm. group, the teacher yep. group. So are they, they're nodding their head because they get that and the Mm -hmm. rest of them, which are the majority of the teachers Mm -hmm. that are probably not of color, are the ones that are squirming and having a little tougher time with that.
1: Definitely. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And I would say in certain, so I did one, Tacoma, I would say was a little more receptive than I did one in Bethel School District. And that was, and I don't know if you saw there, I mean, just lately there was a coach that, put up some foolish, uh, picture, um, kind of mocking, um, the murder of Floyd, you know, where he's kneeling on the neck of, uh, of a friend or another kid or something. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but, um, that made sense to me, <laughs> unfortunately seen that, that picture, because I was like, you know, that, that makes sense, you know, to this area. You know, and, you know, certain areas are just a lot further off than others. And those are normally majority white areas that they don't have to really see outside their bubble. Me and you, we talked a little bit about you living in certain areas that were majority white, right? So living within a bubble, you know, and so not really seeing what's outside of that. And sometimes people are okay with that. You know, I don't really want to see outside this bubble because I don't know how deep this rabbit hole goes you know (laughs) but uh it is challenging Mm -hmm.
0: to open up the Mm -hmm. uh open up your eyes wider and your ears Mm -hmm. more and your heart more and just to be more open to a different way of thinking and looking at things and uh it's challenging yeah and so I I understand that Mm because that's been a part of the journey that I've experienced so far and I Hope to be continue to be challenged. Yeah, honestly, I,
1: I appreciate you completely. I mean, uh, what you're doing is definitely not a it's, it's a tall task, but I mean, it takes a uh, you know the right person, and I think you are definitely the right person to do it. You know, I mean, I've enjoyed our friendship. It was kind of funny when you first when we first kind of connected, and you you were telling me about this. This was a couple of years ago now, and I remember like. Oh boy, is this a another white person that just, they say they really want to know, <laughs> you know, but they really don't, you know, because um, sometimes I believe we, you know, we could see it where people, they just want to say they did it for doing its sake. But then there's those like you that say, no, I, I really want to understand. I want to, you know, as you, uh, uh, what's the name, Carlos Rodriguez had posted on this uh, you have this amazing plaque in front of you that the last part that hits me the most, it says, tell me how to do better. Tell me how to do better. And that's, I think that's all that anybody is looking for. You know, how can we get better? How can we get better together? Tell me how I could be better. You know, you and, and vice versa. And I think if we actually truly mean it and attempt to, like what you're doing with this podcast, it will get better.
0: So um it brings up your you're saying this brings up something that I don't you and I haven't talked about, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of curious to know if uh so you have white people that mm-hmm. have made mention to you mm-hmm. where you've had examples of what you just shared that yep. people that have said, Well I'd like to understand better but mm-hmm there wasn't really any meat on those bones. Uh, so your typical response to that would be that, well, it's just another white person that is well-meaning, mm-hmm. but really isn't willing to invest in what it takes yep. to have some true understanding yep. of what's really going on here.
1: Yeah. Cause it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of retraining of the brain and, and, Sometimes people think the task is too much, not only because of that, but also it's it takes a lot of courage because, you know, just like I don't know if you've had this in your circle, but I know that I think a lot of friends I have that uh, are, are white that don't really speak up because they're afraid of the backlash from, you know, some of their friends. And, you know, uh, it's a lot of it stirs up a lot it stirs up a lot of emotions. It stirs up a lot of potential who knows what. And so some people are just like, you know, I just rather just not, but when we don't, that's when we continue to keep seeing what's happening today.
0: Well, talking about race fits right up there with, uh, I guess the short list of not talking about religion or politics amongst mixed company, right? Race is
1: right up there. It's right up there. It's, it's like right uh
0: there. unless you are serious about having a volatile conversation potentially, yeah. those are subjects you don't bring up in mixed company oftentimes,
1: yep you got it, yeah,
0: I happen to be a uh not so much of a compliant person mm-hmm. i'm I'm less compliant than like my wife would be, yeah. <laughs> uh and so I'm okay with pushing yeah. the boundaries yeah and i'm I'm okay with uh being challenged personally yeah. to some degree. Mm-hmm. I have my limits as well yep. and I'm, I'm feeling some of that. Yeah. But, uh, I'm willing to push against that yeah. and, uh, see where, you know, where I need to be. Yeah, And I think our, our country is, um, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm really challenged by where we're at and, yeah. and that we're at this at such a late date in our history of this yep. country. Yep. Um, and as I mentioned before we started the podcast that, it hadn't been on my agenda, mm-hmm. nor was I specifically really interested in talking about very particular mm-hmm. uh, racial incidents that had mm-hmm. happened. Because there's honestly there's so many, yep. uh, and so uh, that wasn't my intent here. But because of what has happened just in the last few days, yeah. I can't. We can't have this conversation without definitely hearing what what are your thoughts and what are your concerns you and your wife for that matter about mm-hmm. what we see happening here and and um how can we how can we shift gears on this
1: Yeah, yeah I mean it's a it's a big question and uh, <laughs> uh I don't know if I completely have the answer. One thing I will say though is our whole system needs to change. The whole justice system is um it needs to change. There's a lot of change that needs to happen. Um, there's a lot of money that's tied as well to So you look at some of the, the, the wealthy, you know, some of the money is tied to, uh, some of the injustice we see, you know, and, and I think, you know, part of uprooting this is, you know, changing certain, uh, certain things, certain policies. Um,
0: are you speaking like of uh, uh, for-profit prisons and some you of these it. kind of things? Yep. There's a whole industry that's now
1: thriving, yeah, thriving as a result of uh,
0: really mm. unfair justice processes. Yep. And they're thriving economically.
1: Very much so.
0: At the expense of the uh, you know black and brown community greatly yep. and, and immigrants in an awful lot it. of cases. You got it.
1: Um I actually uh was gonna bring this up, but there was uh so when I was a you know, I, I I was a successful mortgage broker for many years. And during that time, you know, obviously when you're when you're doing well, you know, even financially, you get opportunities that other people maybe don't get, you know, for different investments. And I remember actually a person, you know, pitching me on an investment opportunity actually on a new jail that they were building in Nevada, you know, and he was telling me the return on investment. And as he was speaking, I think I just started getting more sick to my stomach. Like, And I I stopped him, you know, I would say, I I let him get probably 75% (laughs) through his pitch. And I said, listen, there's not a day that I'm on this earth that I will ever invest in something that is, at this point, making the majority of its money on enslaving, in my opinion, you know, black people, black and brown people, um, and anybody for that matter, when you're making a good return on investment off keeping people in prison, it's just wrong. (laughs) It's it's just wrong, you know? And, and I believe the whole system just needs to change. When you look at, what happened a few days ago, the biggest part of the system that needs to change is there's this weird, invisible protection or shield that's around police officers in general. This has, this part is has nothing to do as much with race as it does with the, the, the badge. And that is that, you know, they're not tried or they're not Looked at when they're wearing that badge, they're allowed a, a few more injustice. I guess I would say than the normal person. Um, if I would if somebody was to rob my home and I kneeled on their neck until the cops came, but they ended up dying because of that. I'm going to jail because my job was to disarm them and maybe, you know, try to restrain them but now I've committed murder. What this cop has done, what many cops that we have seen over the last few years have done is they have committed murder. Murder is murder, no matter what. And it should, the same should apply to a police officer as anybody else. Even if it's in the line of duty, it's one thing if they have to do it to protect themselves. But when you got people, people, running away from you and you're shooting them when you have people kneeling down or are saying I can't breathe and you're still keeping your knee in their neck and you know there's so many different incidents that's murder and because of that the only thing is justice and that is what I think where all the anger a lot of times come from I know my wife is really having a hard time with it right now with this last one it's really You know, you can see it's breaking her, you know, because she's like, there's so much injustice here. And that's what I think the big picture is. It's not that if this guy was resisting, like, hey, he shouldn't resist if that's what's happening. But when somebody is pleading for their life and you don't change it and no, none of your surrounding officers (laughs) do either. That's injustice. That's to me, that's a modern day lynching you know and it's it's unfortunate
0: yes it really is and mm-hmm. i'm i'm saddened yeah. and uh, heartbroken and all of those things yeah. about seeing this and yeah. i can't uh i i can't say it's hard to express yeah. the feelings that i have so mixed about this yeah but you know what josh i hope that regardless of what happens with this situation and it feels like this one could be mm-hmm uh something that breaks through finally. I don't yeah. know. It sort of feels like this one could. I'm hoping. <laughs> but uh we'll see. Yeah. Um they did uh they did arrest the officer today. Good. Uh so he got arrested and the governor is very apologetic about the uh right. uh having uh, uh arrested a news people today. Yeah. I mean, some crazy stuff has happened here. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think this one could be a, a, a watershed moment here for yeah. for this whole justice thing. But even if it isn't, uh, what I hope to say to you personally is yeah. that I'm hoping that you and uh, all of your friends, yeah. that you don't give up on us. Definitely. Don't mm-hmm. give up on us. Mm-hmm. Serious. Yeah. Yeah. We need to come... We need to be. Uh, we need to be outraged with you. Yeah. We need to be. Yeah. Don't give
1: up on us. Amen to that. And, and, uh, and, and, I, and I
0: don't want you to soften your position. Yeah. Don't soften your position. Yep. Yep. We need to come to where you're at. Definitely. And I, I don't mean. know what it's going to take for that to happen, but that's part of what I'm hoping uh, that we can communicate yeah. here.
1: That's what I think this, a podcast like this does, you know, exactly what you just said. We can't soften our position. We can't, um, make it more light. So it's not as uncomfortable. It has to be uncomfortable because change has to happen. You know, um, we all should be, like you said, outrage, a life is lost. That means a purpose is potentially was unfulfilled. And that is the issue. This is somebody's child, somebody's potentially father, brother, sister, or, you know, uncle. And so, you know, if we go all, you know, a podcast like this gives people the opportunity to see my heart and to see yours. And, and when you say things like you just said, we you you have to come here, meet us here, you know that means a lot that for me, that, that, that means everything It's yeah. I, we would love you to meet us here. Yeah. Meet us here. I mean, it's, it's wide open and I know I'm here. I know my wife's here. I know my whole family's here with open arms, <laughs> you know? And, uh, I, I, I love you, man. I mean, you've, you're an awesome, awesome man. Awesome, uh, uh, person in general. And I just thank you for, uh, for having me too.
0: Well, I'm not a, what this podcast is about, but thank you. Yeah. And, uh, I, I really hope that, um, you know, that through our conversation Mm. that we have conveyed in some small way, Mm -hmm. the idea that, um, uh, it's possible for us to work together. It is. And that honestly, success isn't going to happen unless we do. You got it. It's just flat not going to happen. So for those of us who may still be uncomfortable with the social justice issues we hear on the news and continue to think that racial problems in America are someone else's problems, like I would have thought not that many years ago, mm-hmm. um, hopefully we can move together and yeah. uh, become a part of the outrage and uh, in a good way, not anarchists and looters and Doing all of that crazy stuff, which is unfortunately a huge distraction away from it the is. real problem.
1: I agree. But mm-hmm. since
0: I only became aware of realizing that I had white privilege probably in the last 10 years, it's kind of embarrassing for me to say, but it's <laughs> Not true. At all.
1: Yeah. But I you honestly realize ne- it. Yeah. I never
0: thought about it. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a part of my, I don't know, wasn't a part of my world, I guess, or I didn't think it was. Yeah. And so uh, that's changed in a big way. That's awesome. I own that. Yeah. I got white privilege. And the question is, what am I going to do with it? I love it. What am I going to do with it? I love it. Is there anything else you, before we close this out, that you might like to share with uh, our audience here today?
1: I will just say, uh, like I said before, listen to understand um, and not to defend. And if you truly do that, if you truly, truly do it, Man, that's where change happens. That's literally where that um, aha moment comes from and that paradigm shift begins to happen.
0: Great. Well, I really thank you, Josh, for joining me here today. It's been great fun. I've enjoyed uh, and been challenged a bit and learning what you had to say. Mm -hmm. And I just really appreciate your... uh, helping open up this new podcast uh, and and get this out there. So thank you so much. Thank you. If what you heard today on My Awakening Podcast was helpful in some way, we hope you will consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. You can find out more about us at myawakeningpodcast.com. And there is a messaging link there where you can ask questions or make comments that you may want to share. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to sharing more thought-provoking content with you soon in upcoming episodes. Please keep listening, and remember that together we can make the systemic changes that are needed to heal America's racial divide and achieve justice for all.